You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? It is Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, and it is brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more barbecues, tailgating, or on a road trip to see your favorite team. Wherever the football season finds you, make sure to stop at Tops for the best deals in town, from fresh meat to locally grown produce. Tops has everything you need and so much more for mealtime, snack time, or anytime. Tops at your table since 1962. And I see some comments in here. Ryan Talbot. He's Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. Like Matt, Matt, Matt. I saw the, the article posted seven minutes ago. We're ready to go. Be ready right at 3.30. I thought we're doing pretty good, Ryan Talbot. We're, <laughs> we're usually pushing this thing back like 15 minutes. But right. we, we're here. We're ready to break down the second to last practice. How are you, my friend? Hey, I am doing great. I've seen the comments do the scarn. Maybe someday I'll do the, the scarn uh, dance from Threat <laughs> Level Midnight. But, uh, you know, I'm getting ready to do the scarn. I'm getting excited for some real football here, Matt. Yeah, me too. And and that's what today felt like. It was like the calm before the storm because the Bills weren't in pads today. And, and you start to wonder, all right, if you're Sean McDermott, do you want to dial things up tomorrow, two days before the first preseason game, get him in pads? So we'll kind of wait and see uh, how that goes. But they weren't pads today. So when you go over to the website, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com, uh, and you read the observations, just, just keep that in mind that you know everything that happened today should be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, I think a lot of this stuff, when it, when the pads aren't on, I mean, especially as, as we get through camp, we've seen a lot of padded practices. It just kind of comes in, you know, with a little less oomph, if you will. And Ryan, we are busy here. All right. We're busy here at St. John Fisher University. I filmed two Camp Diaries episodes. And if you have not checked this out yet, I posted the first two. Elena Getzenberg from ESPN, Sal Capaccio from WGR 550. We are sitting right here in this room and talking about stuff away from the football field. And 20, 25 minutes, not super long. Uh, I recorded one today with Mookie Hawkins. I recorded another one with Matt Beauvais. The, the first one will be posted later today. But you can catch up on the old one if you haven't listened yet. Those are audio-only podcasts. You have to go to uh, Shout on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, and you can listen to them there. I'm really uh, excited for the series. A lot of good responses so far. 
uh, and they've been fun. And we got three more scheduled for the later this afternoon. So we are just getting after it here at St. John Fishing. Yeah, you're staying busy there, Matt. You were telling me you had quite a, a schedule to try to get in as many of those as possible today. I'm looking forward to some more as well. I've checked out the first two. Well, thank you, uh, buddy. I was just telling you before we started here, uh, I, I miss you up here. We got a lot of Talbot uh, out here in uh, in Rochester, and so not having you here to close things down, we miss you. Uh, but we're getting after it as we move things the show back to Buffalo here in the next couple of days. Uh, we've had a great time. Uh, the content... The support you guys have given us uh, on all of the platforms has been outstanding. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Let's get that thing over to 100 real quick. Uh, subscribe to this to the show as well. Where do you want to start, Ryan Tab? We got a uh, we we do got a lot to get into here. We do. Let's start at the lead, man. Let's start with Von Miller. Another really impressive day for the Bills' pass rusher. The uh, the man brought in to be that missing piece, so to speak. And once again today, he looked the part. Man, it is just. You get used to watching greatness, right? When you're around it every day. And I've said this kind of about Josh Allen when I go on national TV shows or uh, radio shows and they ask me about what's it like covering Josh Allen. It's like, honestly, like you don't think about the the greatness factor. That I think a lot of people outside of Buffalo, you know, watch him with now. And I think the part of that's happened with Von Miller. We saw him pop early in practice and, you know, as the days have gone along, you just kind of get used to it. And Ed Oliver said something interesting a couple days ago about Vaughn. He's like, when when they first signed him, it was like, oh man, Vaughn Miller, like Super Bowl champion. But after a while, Ed Oliver said he's just kind of evolved into his brother. Like they goof around on the practice field in the locker room. And so it just, it changes. And every so often you see a couple plays where you're just like, wow. All right, this dude is just different. And one play in particular that I want to highlight, he had a sack today, which, um, uh, no pad. So, you know, it, it was impressive. Don't get me wrong, but we've seen that before. This was a Michael Jordan esque move. I, I wrote in the story that Allen Iverson would be proud of the, the spin move that, uh, the Von Miller used to be absolutely just stun Spencer Brown in one-on-ones. He worked kind of looked like he was going to, you know, get to the outside and, and use some speed, uh, in his rush, but changed direction so quickly, immediately just put his foot in the ground, spun really quick, and boom, he was in. And me and Matt Bovee were standing there like, whoa, dude. Like, that was just, like, spectacular. Von Miller looks like he's ready to just wreck things and and, and once the game start here. Although I don't think we're going to see a, a whole lot of them over the next couple of games. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think you're going to see him maybe at all. Maybe maybe in one of the preseason games. But he, he doesn't need to be out there. He's got all the experience in the world. You know what he's going to bring to the table. Uh, more important to have him healthy for week one. Uh, besides Josh Allen, probably the second most important to have healthy for week one, I would say even more than Stefan Diggs. But you mentioned it in your article. Great uh, pass rush move on Spencer Brown. Had another uh, really good sack or move on Deion Dawkins today as well. And we've seen this numerous times. It doesn't matter who they line up in front of them. It could be a, a pro bowler like Deion Dawkins. It can be Tommy Doyle, Spencer Brown, and the list goes on. Uh, th they've all kind of been taken aback at some point this summer based on what they've seen from Von Miller. It's just like, whoa, like, what did that really happen? You think you have your, uh, your set, you think you're ready. And all of a sudden he's in the backfield. He's by you. He's around you uh, living up to the hype. Absolutely, man. And then to the other part where you said he's kind of like a brother now to Ed Oliver or what Ed Oliver said today, uh, you see it every practice. 
He's off to the side talking with Ed Oliver. He's off to the side talking with Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, Epinez, even Shaq Lawson and company, uh, just trying to help everyone get a little bit better out there in terms of what uh, he thinks they could do better, what what maybe he, he thinks he saw from them, and here's what I would have done instead. So those are little nuggets that are going to help these other pass rushers that are going to help these other defensive linemen because they're not all defensive ends that he's working with off to the side as the season goes on here in 2022. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I think that's a great point. And I'm going to see if I can't get um, some of these, uh, a couple photos that I took after practice, but it goes even beyond like Oliver and Rousseau. I mean, this is a dude that he's spending time with everybody. Um, uh, I got almost everybody's, I mean, Tanner Owen, how many times have I retur- referred to him? But I don't want right. to. I've not mentioned this this dude's name very much. Kingsley Jonathan, uh, the Syracuse product, uh, not somebody that's really like uh, popped off at all, if you will, during training camp. But somebody that, you know, is a young player that's still developing. That's you know trying to come in here and fight for every type of you know scratch and claw for every type of opportunity he can get. For a guy like Von Miller to take a few minutes and to work with him a little bit, I think you're right. I think it does say a lot about Vaughn and the fact that it's not just like, I think it can be easy at times to um, say things that maybe you don't do. Like, I I think a lot of times people do that. Like, let's be honest, people are, you know, normal. Um, But for him to go that extra mile with a undrafted free agent like that, I'm going to try to get the pictures up here. I just think that that's pretty impressive. And it's, he's kind of backing up what, what he talks about. Yeah, and when I was there on Sunday, I saw him working with, uh, I think, Mike Love at one point. So he, he is. He's working from the guys at the top to the, of the roster, the bottom of the roster. And, you know, some of those bottom of the roster guys that we're mentioning here, their, their odds of making the 53 are slim to none, but they could be practice squad guys who could get better and better having that experience with Von Miller. They're guys that are going to be scouted by these developmental leagues, the XFLs, the USFLs of the world. And anything that they have learned this summer from Von Miller is going to go with them and be carried over into their game and help them. So that way, hopefully they can get back to the show, get back to the NFL, maybe uh, make a mark in Buffalo or elsewhere in future years. So Von Miller is really doing what he said he was going to do, try to help everyone get a little bit better here this summer. And he's done that thus far. Who do you think, um, who do you think is going to be the, the guy that, benefits most from Miller because I think on the one hand, I think Rousseau is probably like the easiest answer because Mm -hmm. teams are just not going to be able to pay a lot of attention. I, I don't think teams were paying tons of attention to him last year. I think Jerry Hughes, you know, offered um, some protection for him, but not a ton. Is that where you go? Is it Ed Oliver, who I think is kind of wrecking things on his own uh, throughout training camp note on him. He had two false starts today, uh, offsides penalties, he was just chopping at the bit. He was like looking ready to go. Uh, but who do you think benefits the most uh, from Miller's presence? Yeah, I think both of those are great options. But I'll go with Russo just based on the fact that he's working on the pass rush moves. He's learning, uh, you know, instead of doing this, do that. And, and it's it, some of those moves that he's teaching Russo are more uh, off the edge type of pass rush moves where Ed Oliver on his own had a really good season last year. And I think he's going to benefit from uh, Von Miller this year, but I'm going to go with Rousseau because of the athletic gifts that Rousseau has, the size, 
uh, the arm, the wingspan, the arm length, whatever you want to call it, the hand fighting ability. If he can take his natural talents and also improve his pass rush arsenal, thanks to Von Miller, uh, I, I think that his ceiling suddenly gets even higher. And I think he had a high ceiling when the Bills drafted him. But when you add something like the knowledge that a Von Miller brings to you, it, it's only going to make him even potentially scarier than what he could have been. Mm-hmm. I, I can't figure out how to get the images up. So I'm going to tweet the, the pictures from practice day. Von Miller working with uh, Jonathan and you can check them out there. Uh, where do you want to go next, buddy? Well, let's stay with the pass rushers. You mentioned AJ Epineza flashed again today. Um, and again, you know, you mentioned it, take everything with a grain of salt when they're not in, in pads, but what did you see from Epinesa today? Yeah. And I saw uh, kind of like a fitting comment in here. It's like no Pat from Kevin on YouTube, no pads. Epinesa must've had a good day. And it's like, yeah, you get used to this. And that's why I, I wrote in the story that it's like, all right, now we've seen enough from Epinesa in the, in the practice environment. It's time to translate that to the games. And he's got to start making these kinds of plays in the games because we saw one game, the, the, the ceiling of a uh, potential of AJ Epinesa. I don't know. Like I just, when the pads have been on, I haven't seen it as much from him. So yeah, the pads were off today. He had an unbelievable rep against Tommy Doyle. Exactly what you hope for exactly with the way that you, you draw it up almost to the point where you look at to- Doyle, who I said had a couple good reps against him the other day when the pads were on, I think that maybe that holds a little bit more uh, credence just because of the scenario. But today, I mean, it looked like Epinesa completely overpowered Doyle. It was kind of like a power rush. He had Doyle kind of like on his heels backing up. So that's a big play. And and, and you like to see that. But again, it's something that I think that you've seen enough of those plays in practice now. You got to see it in the games. Yeah, my only counterpoint to that would be, well, from the comment in the chat that is, is I would rather see plays from Epinesa with no pads on then no no flashes at all. At least we're seeing some of it in certain circumstances. Now, these next three preseason games are big for Epinez. I think he's someone that's going to get a lot of playing time, um, at least in, in maybe that third. I, it was the third preseason game last year. I had them mixed up where I said I thought certain players were going to play in the second. I think I was thinking of the old four-game scenario where they played in the third, they didn't play in the fourth, and I tried to like trim that down. But I think Epinesa could see playing time in all three games, uh, and he's someone that needs to make those plays when the pads are on. But as long as he's making plays in any areas, whether it's padded practices, non-padded, at least that gives you a little bit of hope that, okay, things are starting to click a little bit. Um, I can't remember who it was. Seth Walder, I believe it was, uh, printed out or posted printed out well uh on twitter the get off times last year and he was still number one among all Mm -hmm. pass rushers last season so there's something to that when the ball gets snapped he's fast off the line can he improve his pass rush arsenal uh to make that worthwhile time will tell but at least he's still having flashes at times in practices Wow, Matt Moots over on YouTube dropping the fire hot takes that he thinks Epinesa is a practice squad guy or cut when all is said and done. Listen, I think that's that's a scalding hot take. I mean, I, I think the Bills specifically did what they did on the interior and not on the edge this offseason because they want to give these three young guys every opportunity to have you know, specifically more of the two. I think Greg Rousseau had a really good rookie year. I think they're hoping that he takes a step and he builds on that. He's in no danger. But I think, you know, 
Boogie Basham a little bit less. He's in the same situation as AJ Epinesa is. It's like, you know, it's kind of like an underwhelming rookie year. Most of that just a lack of opportunities. Now we'll see with a bigger role. And then AJ Epinesa, I just think, you know, they went out and they brought Shaq Lawson, who, listen, we've talked about this on this podcast. I think that there's, there is a chance for Shaq Lawson to find a lot of success in this um, system that he's been successful in in the past. But I don't think that he's coming in here necessarily and pushing any of these young guys out of the picture early on. I think it's going to be a situation where you go in, you like the fact that you have five defensive ends that can play in your rotation with Vaughn probably being in his own tier of, of snaps in the end. I think it ends up being somewhere up over 65, maybe even 70% of the snaps. Uh, but I don't anticipate Shaq Lawson getting a jersey on game days to start the season. I think that's going to be those first three to four games are going to be a huge for AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham to kind of prove it, that they can be relied upon as part of this, this pass rush rotation that is featuring Von Miller. Listen, if you can't have success, if you're AJ Epinesa rushing opposite of Von Miller, you know, then I think the questions really start to happen, but I, I do think they're going to give him a bit of runway, Ryan. Yeah. And, and man, I love hot takes as much as anyone, but there's no chance Epinesa even makes the practice squad in that snare that the bills would wave him or cut him. There'd be another team out there that would say, okay, we had a high grade on him just a few years ago. Let's see if we can get that untapped potential out there. Um, you know, we saw player, we see players every year in the league and guys with less name recognition than Epinesa get claimed elsewhere. Uh, Nick McLeod, for instance, last year was claimed by the Bengals and, and their undrafted guy. Epineza being a former second round pick, he would get claimed by so many teams or so many teams would put in a claim for him, I should say. So that's not happening. I agree with you. He's going to get some runway early on this year. Um, you, you know, you could sway me on almost any of these middle tier players in terms of swinging a trade maybe, but I don't even see that necessarily with Epineza. There's some linemen, there's some other players that maybe a trade could be a possibility, but I think Epineza, they invested in him. They want to see uh, what he can do when you have a guy like Von Miller on one side, you have a guy like Ed Oliver that's uh, ascending even higher than what we think he's going to do from one year ago. It's important to see what you have in these young guys. And that's including Epineza, obviously. We got a good question on Twitter. I want to go there next before we go to the next uh, observation, but I, quick question. Uh, first of all, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Smash that like button. Come on, let's let's get those numbers up. What are we what are we at here, Ryan? We got uh we got live. We got 180 watching live, 34 likes. Come on, hit that like button. Let's get it up over a hundred uh, here early in the show. Um, so had some family pictures last night. We went to uh, uh one of the Woodlawn Beach uh out there in uh, I think it's in Hamburg or Lakeview or Lakeshore somewhere somewhere out there near Hamburg. And um yeah, they were great, right? Wore this shirt. So question is, I wore it for like an hour, right? Turned around, dialed it right back up for today. I liked it. It was the first day I had it. My wife bought it for me. Felt good. It was It's kind of like, you know, felt loose on me. It was like breezy. I was like, you know, I'm going to, it might be hot tomorrow. I'm going to wear it to camp. Is that taboo? Is that, uh, is that kind of uh, frowned upon to go, go right back to the shirt the second day? I didn't wash it or anything. No, I don't think it. it I think there's a time limit on these things. And like you said, you wore it for an hour, Matt. It was for photos. This was not you running around in the backyard. You didn't get it sweaty or dirty. I, I think it's a uh, fair play to wear it on a second day when you plan on wearing it the entire day. So what you're saying is you're giving me the thumbs up. Like everybody thumbs should up. do watching on YouTube. That's right. right. That's All right. right. Hit that smash like button. It. Hit that thumbs up. Smash it. 
as they say. All right, here we go. All right, let's get to this question over on Twitter. Um, we are a equal opportunity podcast, right? We go to all the platforms. If you got a question, drop it in there. This is from Frankie and Cheek Dewaga. Does the Brandon Bean is a genius narrative get slowed down if the Bills underinvested O line holds them back this year? So let's start. Let's let's break this apart because I think this is a really good, important question. And let's break this apart first of all. Like, what what do you think about the investment on the offensive line? Do you think it was underwhelming? Because if you look at just, you know, the entire picture, they invested pretty heavily at center and left tackle, which I think is the two most important pieces. One-year mm-hmm. deal for a veteran guy in Roger Saffel, but it's it's on the higher end. I think it's around $6 million. Uh, I'll bring up his contract as we're talking. And then a couple draft picks uh, the last couple of years. Ryan Bates is a guy that they've they built they've uh, developed. Uh, Cody Ford is a guy that's been around that obviously a draft pick that hasn't maybe panned out. And then they went the veteran route with a couple of guys, uh, Questenberry, um, Van Roten, and Mance. Do you feel like just from a definition standpoint that they underinvested on on the offensive line? No, and and here's why: because you only have so much cap space, man. And they've already invested in Josh Allen and Deion Dawkins. Trey White, uh, Matt Milano, and the, and the list goes on and on in terms of the internal guys that they've already had on this roster. You add Von Miller. That takes a big chunk of your cap space. You you invested a lot in digs. Uh, you have to think long-term with some of these other players coming up, Davis and Dawson Knox and so on and so forth. So you also have to be kind of fiscally smart. So they added a Pro Bowler in 2021 in, in terms of Roger Saffold. I think that's a big-time investment for trying to upgrade your offensive line. Someone that has played with Aaron Cromer. He was a second-team All-Pro when Cromer was his offensive line coach. You matched a contract offer for Ryan Bates. You have to remember that as well. He was a restricted free agent. Uh, the Bears, I believe it was the Vikings, and I know it was the Patriots were three teams that showed interest, and he ended up signing that um offer sheet with the bears and the bills matched it. So they showed an investment there. Uh, I think that they, they liked what they saw from Spencer Brown. You could make the argument that Brown got worse as the year went on, which isn't uncommon for rookies, but he, he did have his moments, his high points last year. So I think they, they liked what they saw enough from him in terms of right tackle. They didn't anticipate a uh, bat procedure. Questenberry was a starter last year. Uh, and the Bills were able to bring him over as a possible swing tackle. He might start the season at right tackle, depending on how things go. And, and then you mentioned it. He always has that hodgepodge of veterans that have experience that, you know, some of them work out, some of them do not. Uh, I think in the case of Greg Mance, I think he's been pretty solid. Uh, Van Roten, time will tell. I'm not sure if he'll make this roster. They still have four that they had previously invested in. So, you know, I, I'm being a little long-winded here, but I, I don't think that he underinvested. I think that he used his resources that he had uh, to Im- to f- to improve this offensive line. He couldn't go out and sign a premier uh, guard or tackle, especially another tackle, because of the money that they're seeking. When you look at like a guy like Orlando Brown in terms of what he's hoping to get, uh, you you already have a lot of money invested elsewhere on this team. So. I thought that was a great um, rundown of, and and I do agree with the take. Uh, The next part of this is when we talk about investment, it's like, okay, they they invested on the free agent market, right? Bringing in Saffold, all the guys that you mentioned, like that, that was an investment, right? But they haven't spent 
day one, day two picks on their offensive line outside of Spencer Brown the last couple of years. And I think some fans see the blueprint in Kansas City to replace some of the pieces that they lost over the last couple of years. Uh, I believe it's Trey Smith and Creed Humphreys who absolutely exploded for them last year. And you're like, you're probably sitting there wondering like, all right, you took Terrell Bernard on day three or day two. You really like the player. You really like, but you were like a little ahead of the curve on that. Maybe you could have waited and maybe traded back into the fourth round and gotten him and maybe addressed uh, one of the interior positions or even gone tackle again. Uh, kind of like the Chiefs did a year ago. They went, they got Creed Humphrey in the second round, but you kind of get my point. I think that might be where fans are a little bit, you know, um, concerned with the approach. But I think the thing is, Ryan, it's like you can't, you can't draft, you, you probably get three picks most years on day one and two, right? And you're not going to be able to go offensive line every single year. There were other needs. Fans have been clamoring for cornerback for years. If Brandon Bean right. doesn't take that cornerback in the first round last year and he goes guard at that spot, you know, I don't, I can't remember if it was Kenyon Green, uh, Zion Johnson, they might have both been gone. But let's just, for instance, say that one of them was there and he took one of them or whoever was next up on the, you know, on the list. And with Kyer Elam on the board, I think we see a riot. Yeah, or imagine if it would have been the Cole Strange pick and the Bills made it. Uh, that really would have been a riot when when there's a Kyer Elam on the board and there's other uh, talented corners. You know, Brandon Bean from day one has said he sticks to his board. Uh, and, and I think he's been proven true multiple years by taking running backs in day two. Now that that is a... Uh, a pick that I think a lot of fans clamor for in today's NFL, but he sticks to his board. It was Singletary one year. It was Moss another year. It was Cook this year. Um, he, he's done it with in on you know day two, day three picks with offensive linemen when he did Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle. He did a few more this year. He looks and sees what players, where are they, how do they have them graded, and he sticks to that. And for better or worse, I think you, you can't really argue with the results because the Bills are the Super Bowl favorite entering this season. They've hit on a lot of draft picks. Um, Bernard is in line to maybe not be linebacker three right out of the gate this year because you do have Tyrell Dodson. But if there's an injury to Milano uh, or if there's any injury on that team, he could come in on those base uh, three linebacker sets. He could be used kind of as a big nickel I think there's a role for him, and I think that they were really impressed when they met with him uh, in terms of absorbing the playbook, absorbing what they wanted him to do. And that's another thing. When they meet with these prospects, those things go a long way. So, yeah, it's great to have someone in mind, that uh, alignment that, oh, it would be nice to add him because we have a need here, but they stay true to their board. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I will say this, Elliot says on YouTube, uh, O-line problems this preseason is a mix of injuries and a juiced-up D-line with the addition of Miller and the growth of, of young studs on the D-line. Definitely true. Um, but I, I have noticed that the narrative out there, when you look at some of the national guys that do that put together these lists, like I know Brandon Thorne, uh, he does a list. I really respect his work. I think he's over at either the Ringer 
Um, I don't want to say because I, I, he's been in a few places. He does stuff for Bleacher Report. Really enjoy his offensive line content. He's like, uh, he's got a newsletter. It's called um, Trench Warfare. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. It's really good. You should check it out. Um, and then I think there, the, there's an ESPN story that had um, the offensive line ranked, and we're talking middle of the pack for the Bills. So this isn't something that somebody's coming out of left field with this comment. There, there is concern about how good this offensive line is. I just, I downplay it sometimes because I think Josh Allen negates bad offensive line play. He's done that the last two years at times. I don't think it's as big of a deal, especially in pass protection. This is a good comment though. That McKissick deal falling through had to have changed the bills draft uh, plan. No way the bills take cook in round two. If they trade for McKissick and fair, like maybe that, maybe that is the case, but let me ask you this, Ryan, would you trade James cook or, or would you trade James cook for McKissick? And one of these offensive linemen, Ed Ingram, offensive guard out of LSU, Luke Fortner, center out of Kentucky. Where's the other one here? Sorry, I'm, the Bills traded no, down in the second, so I'm making sure that I have all of them. Luke Gattaki, offensive t- tackle out of Central Michigan. Josh Azudu, who I actually wrote about in one of my mock drafts, guard out of North Carolina. Nicholas Petit Friere out of Ohio State, tackle. Uh, Abraham Lucas, tackle out of Washington State. Um, Bernard Raymond, offensive tackle out of Central Michigan. So some names here, some guys that we've talked about on some of our draft podcasts. What do you think about everything that you've seen about James Cook now? Would you take McKissick and one of those offensive linemen and you know maybe roll of the dice that one of those guys is maybe your version of Creed Humphrey or, or Trey Smith? No, personally, I, I would not. And um McKissick, listen, he he backed out in free agency. They had a an agreed to deal. He had a change of heart. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. Um, and, and yes, that did change Brandon Bean's plan, I'm sure, and come draft time. And I'm sure some of the backs going where they went on day two maybe forced his hand a little bit. I still think he had a very high grade on James Cook and the skill set was exactly what they were looking for. Uh, but you know, last thing on the offensive line. It doesn't necessarily matter how much you invest in free agency in the draft. You're not guaranteed anything. Uh, look at the Jets, for instance. The Jets have invested in, in that in the offensive line the last few years, and some injuries have taken place, obviously. But the last practice that I read about, uh, Zach Wilson was sacked five of six dropbacks in a row. Uh, they had a heavy investment in Beckton, and I know he just suffered another serious injury. They signed, I want to say, George Fant to a pretty big, sizable deal last year they've gone out of their way to try to upgrade their line this is not just a bills problem we see injuries take place we saw another center go down in tampa bay today they're they're going to be on their possible third string center uh at the start of this season and that's going to probably be pretty worrisome for them so a lot of teams are going through these woes right now it's not just a singular problem in buffalo Mm mm-hmm um, another question here on the side of the, the James cook, uh, conversation is how many snaps do you think he'll get this season? So I, I, I brought up last year's, uh, snap count for the bills. Um, Devin Singletary had 718, Zach Moss had 380 and Matt Breida had 81. My prediction is that those numbers get closer together, Singletary and Mosses to where mm-hmm. maybe Singletary has, 600 and Moss has 500 and then whatever's left over goes to um, cook who I think is also going to get a lot of snaps 
as a receiver, right? Like when they, when they maybe want two running back sets with, you know, maybe lining up cook in the slot or out wide, you could probably get him up to somewhere around 300, 400 with that kind of timeshare. And I think that the bills, I don't think they're going to run drastically more, but I could see there being just for that trio more snaps than the trio of Brito Moss and Singletary last year. And that's how I kind of would have it devised out a little bit. Yeah. I I think you could cut a few snaps off of Singletary's totals, especially if you're going to be passing as much as they did. You want to give your uh, best pass catcher out there. I I think he's closer to the Zach Moss total as a rookie and, and Moss might be in that 150 range. Uh, when all is said and done at the end of the year, just because of the fact that uh, they're still waiting for him to show what he can do when given opportunities in until he really proves himself in games that matter. I think he, uh, he could end up being that number three running back, the guy that gets the short yardage carries that gets maybe some of the goal line carries, but he's not out there uh, between the twenties a lot. You, you want Singletary out there. You want Cook out there. Maybe you want both of them out there at the same time. So I, I think he's going to start slow in terms of snaps per game, that being Cook. Uh, but as the year goes on, you're going to see more and more opportunities for him as long as he does a good enough job with those limited opportunities early in the year. You know, it started slow on the Shout Football podcast on this Wednesday with the likes. We're not even to 100 yet, Ryan Tavel. Let's oh, get going. Get that get that trigger finger going. Let's get those likes up to 100. Uh, I believe in you. We got over 250 watching live on YouTube right now. And while you're getting after it, get over to Tops Friendly Markets. The sizzle of the grill, popping open a refreshing drink, crowds cheering for their favorite team. These are the beautiful sounds of football season. And Tops is right there with you. From fresh meat to locally grown produce, Tops has everything you need and so much more. Ryan Talbot, everything you need. Tommy Sweeney is bringing it. it. He's got everything you need. Pass catching, uh, the acrobatics, the, the handle, the hands, the separation, the footwork. Listen, I've been talking about Tommy Sweeney for a couple weeks now. I think he's had a really outstanding camp in a camp where O.J. Howard has really underwhelmed. I think Tommy Sweeney is setting himself up for, all right, I still think that it's not a lock that he's going to make the 53-man roster, but I'm much more in on the idea today than I was when camp was opening. I think there is a possibility. It just comes down to the numbers game. And we've talked about this on previous shows. If you carry three tight ends, where do you take away from? Maybe you don't go as heavy on the defensive line this year. Uh, Maybe it's somewhere else on the offense side of the ball. I'm not going to say that Reggie Gilliam's extension hurts Sweeney's chances, but you know, you, you have Gilliam on this roster, you know, he's a lock obviously uh, for what he brings for special teams as a fullback. And he is your, well, he could be your pseudo (laughs) third tight end behind Knox and behind OJ Howard. Um, So, Sweeney, though, has been very impressive. He's he's on that right trajectory. He, along with guys like a guy like Isaiah Hodgins, have made the most of their opportunities this summer. It's just a numbers game. Can one or both of them make it? I'm still with Sweeney on the outside looking in, being someone that you can sneak onto the practice squad. If Howard really does underwhelm it as the year goes on, someone then maybe you promote a few times, you get him out there on the field, see and kind of get a feel for what he can do in that live game action. It's just really tough when you're trying to trim this roster down. I like Elliot's comment here over on YouTube. Uh, One of our regulars, one of our OGs, Elliot Eisler. Uh, Shout out to you, brother. Uh, 
I could see us going, us, the Bills, going a little lighter on the D-line since Vaughn is used to playing so many snaps compared to what we usually do. And listen, I've talked up Shaq Lawson, but I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Bills cut Lawson, try to get him back on their practice squad, somebody that you know nobody was really clamoring for a few months ago uh, when, when the Jets cut him. And so that could be a situation where you say, okay, we're good at eight. We'll get Shaq back on our practice squad. We don't want to risk Tommy Sweeney out there. I'm not saying it's just for Tommy Sweeney. Maybe it's in the cornerback room. Christian Benford, another practice. I didn't write about him because I don't want to keep writing about the sixth-round rookie. But, man, the dude is just bringing it day after day. He's He made a couple of really good plays today. He's feisty. He fights. He – and, by the way, when I say fights, I mean in the routes – legally none of that after the whistle stuff that has gotten some of these guys uh, going the last couple of weeks, but you know, Christian Benford another day, if the bills want to keep more cornerbacks, they don't want to risk losing Lewis or, or Benford, or maybe even Nick McLeod. These are the kinds of moves that you kind of start looking at the numbers and maybe they keep eight and, and, and figure things out with Shaq after the fact. Cause I think Shaq yeah. wants to be here. I, I do too. Uh, he, you know, he was just like Jordan Phillips. He he was hinting late last year after he was cut that he would love to come back to Buffalo. He was very transparent about that. Uh, and then when Phillips obviously was released in Arizona, it didn't take him very long at all to hint that he wanted to come back to Buffalo. So uh, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said about the fact that no one wanted loss in last year when he could be had. Um, so maybe he is someone that gets moved to the practice squad for a guy like Tommy Sweeney or an Isaiah Hodgins. They want to keep an extra receiver or cornerback. Like you mentioned, we don't know where, how these numbers are going to break down, but it, it's not a guarantee for a guy like Lawson or a guy like, uh, Sweeney to make this roster. But this is the beauty of this thing that the bills have a lot of talent at a lot of positions and a surplus of talent at certain positions where maybe they feel more confident saying, okay, we really like what we have here. We can try to get this person to the practice squad. If not, okay, that'll hurt us a little bit, but they have to try to Brandon Bean has his hands full here in these next few weeks because they have to keep trimming it down little by little, uh, by the end of this month. So, I, I don't envy him this time of year when it comes down to that roster because there's just so much talent across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to read a couple things from Leslie Frazier today because a good question in here about Benford potentially outplaying Elam the last couple of weeks. I think there's no doubt about it. Benford has been more splash plays than Elam. And I think it's really dangerous getting too deep into the weeds with cornerback play, especially with non with no pads. I mean, taking that part of their game away. It's why I don't think a lot of people go into the line play. And really, in general, you, get to, you should take everything with a grain of salt when it comes to practice. But um, they basically said, you know, Lassie Frazier said today that when Christian Benford has had opportunities, he's made some plays. Um, still very early. Um, but when they drafted him, they saw a guy who who didn't uh, think the game was too big for him. And it wouldn't be that case when he came to the NFL. And they've liked how he's transitioned. Uh, he has toughness. And he plays with toughness. That's 100%. Like, it's just natural with him. And sometimes I wonder with Elam, like, is he forcing the toughness a little bit? Whereas it maybe comes a little bit more natural to Benford. And if you're forcing the toughness, I think sometimes that can put you out of position. Um, but here's what Leslie Frazier said about Elam. And I want to read this entire quote because uh, I think it's important. I really like a lot of things that Kyer has been doing for us. The improvement from the spring to what we're doing in training camp is such a big transition from college football to professional football. So both he and Christian Benford have done a really good job in not letting the game become too big for them. 
Kyrie in particular, you still see that willingness to get down and get in the face of receivers like he did in college. Not afraid to get down and play press coverage, but he's learning the other part of the game, being able to play off because we do other things in our defense other than play press. And he's really grown in that area. So I've been really impressed with his mental toughness and his coachability. That's a big deal when you're trying to bring a guy along and hopefully prepare him to have a good season for you in his rookie year. And he's been very coachable and his knowledge of the game and his maturity has really jumped off thoughts on all of that. Ryan? It comes down to what we said a few days ago. We we've seen Benford make opportunities when given opportunity, uh, when given those snaps and he's, he has not been given a ton of snaps against the first team defense against Stefan Diggs, against Gabe Davis. So when you put it under a microscope, Kyrie Elam has been beaten many times by those top two receivers, but a lot of cornerbacks would in that scenario when you're going rep after rep from the start of the spring and, you know, or the start of training camp through, it's going to happen, but you're also going to have those good reps. You're going to have the reps where you fight, where, where uh, you bat a pass away, where you make a play on the ball. And he's had those too. I, I just think the sample size, um, when, when you look at it, fans need to take into account that, that Elam is getting those reps for a reason. They, they envision a very big role for him. Benford, it's been really great to see him take on those reps when he's had opportunities and rise to the occasion. But that doesn't mean you're going to see him playing 50-some reps week one against the Rams. If anything, they, they probably don't want to get him onto the field much at all unless injuries arise if he makes his 53-man roster, which I'm leaning that way that he does based on what he's done so far at camp and, and making the most of these uh, opportunities. But, yeah, it, it's a great story. It's great that Benford is performing well, but it's such a small sample size. It's almost like the whole padded conversation we were having earlier. You kind of you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt because if you were to give him the same amount of reps that Elam was given, he'd probably have his fair share of plays that he would love to have back based on a, the move that one of those receivers would make at the line, uh, based on just their, their natural route running ability, so on and so forth. You know a play that you never want back, Ryan Talbot? What's that? Hitting value home centers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you go there right now and they, it's your last chance to stock up on summer outdoor essentials. You can buy any of this stuff. Whoa. You know, I got to tell you, the Camp Diaries episode, they've been a little bit more uncensored. So I was kind of going into, I almost had a slip up there. Apologies. (laughs) Um, Shop outdoor furniture, fire pits, tables, grills, garden tools, and outdoor decor. Head over to valuehomecenters.com slash current dash ad that'll bring up their latest ad you'll get kind of a good look at everything that is on sale right now and going on right now up up until september 3rd it's the end of the season clearance sale save seven dollars instantly on valspar integrity exterior paint and five dollars on valspar true basics exterior self priming paint and also ryan we are debuting this saturday a new value home center segment on the shout podcast we're very excited about don't miss it that's right. Looking forward to uh, maintaining that relationship with value. Uh, love having them as part of the show. All right. Where do you want to finish up? Let me talk a little Taron Johnson here. Yeah, um, absolutely. He returned today. Let's go through the injury list. Uh, I think that would be a good place to start. So we had um, Isaiah McKenzie back. Kyer, uh or Khalil Shakir was back and Taron Johnson. We're all back on the practice field. They missed the last couple of days with some nagging injuries. Stefan Diggs had a vet day. Tavon Austin is out with soreness. 
Tyrell Dotson remains to be in street clothes. He's not participating right now. It doesn't seem to be anything serious. Some of these guys are just kind of getting a rest, might be dinged up a little bit. Uh, nothing definitive on him. But, man, Taron Johnson looked like the, the time off uh, benefited him. I mean, just absolutely blazing fast out there. And on the one play, you know, Gabe Davis, with digs out, was having himself a really nice practice, got towards the uh, middle, towards the end uh, of team drills, and he just kind of came open really quick. Allen located him. But just as Al uh, Allen kind of moved his attention over to Davis, Taron Johnson locked in on Allen and immediately reacted, zoomed across the field, and – Allen just like he he let out a rocket and you're like there's no way Taron Johnson is running that thing down, but that's what he does. Pass breakup, uh, prime time Taron Johnson. Uh, you know when he's at his best. Just good to see as we kind of ramp things up here, getting towards the start of the season. Yeah, I don't think Taron Johnson gets the national respect that he deserves as one of the best slot cornerbacks in the NFL. I really do think you can make a case for top five, top three. That's how good I think he is and. Uh, it's a testament to his ability because of the fact that it was a few years ago that he was almost out of a starting job and um, an injury to Cam Lewis got him back on the field. And from there, he really rebounded that season. But there's been way more ups than downs for Johnson in his career, especially the last few years. It's been all ups. Uh, he's an outstanding slot corner. So I'm not surprised that he was able to uh, make that recovery despite Allen's arm strength, despite the fact that he can zip those uh, different footballs into those tight windows. Uh, Johnson is as good as they come. You've mentioned the toughness factor. He, he brings it all to the table for this team. Yeah. Uh, so people having some fun with the comments there <laughs> in the ad read. Just, just, yes, I saw that. Hey man, we're almost out of here. You know, tomorrow's the last day of training camp. You know, there's, I, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't more, I, I haven't had more flubs here over the last couple of weeks. Um, so a little update on, you know, we've been talking about this. We've been kind of poking at this the last couple of days that we've had practices that Jay Kumaro versus Isaiah Hodgins battle. It's, it's kind of blossoming in front of our eyes. I mean, I, I really do think we're on the path to seven wide receivers with Tavon Austin, uh, punt return potential there. Hit them listening to him as number one, uh, uh on the list. And if that happens, then you're at six. Cause I think Shakira makes the team Crowder McKenzie Davis digs. And then it's probably the fight for number seven. I think Kumaro's got the inside track, but today uh, really nice play by Namar Hamlin. It looked like Kumaro was going to have one of his best catches in teamwork, all training camp brings it down. And right at the last second, Damar Hamlin comes in and rips it out as a pass from Josh Allen. That's a big time play. And, and if you're Jake Kumaro, you can't have too many of those add up. Because you got a guy hot on your trail and, and Isaiah Hodgins. It's such a tough to, – I've gone back and forth on this. I'm going to have another 53-man roster projection shortly after the first preseason game. Boom. And, and uh, I've been looking at that specific battle. Right now, I'm actually leaning toward Hodgins over Kumaro. Now, three preseason games to change my mind. I could end up being wrong. Nothing that I'm saying is 100% is going to happen between these two players. Uh, but Hodgins has flashed enough now, former draft pick, uh, someone that you, you could use in a lot of different ways. You could use him as a big slot. You can use him on the outside, let him use that uh, frame and size in the red zone, especially as you're very close to the end zone. I think there's a lot of things that you could do with him on this offense, despite having so much other talent in the wide receiver room. Kumaro, he hasn't done a lot on offense. He's obviously a special teams ace. There's, there's no denying that. So that's where I have my my tough decision. 
Uh, but the, the one thing I'll say about this team is if the Bills really wanted to on special teams, they could just go to Tyler Bass and say, kick it through the end zone every time because he has the leg strength to do that. Now, there are games where you want to kind of hang them short to make uh, challenge the teams to bring them out. And that's where Kumaro's at his best. But you already have so much invested on special teams, roster players, uh, Saran Neal, who I think he'd be on this roster also as a defensive back. Don't get me wrong on, on him, but uh, Taiwan Jones, uh, you had linebackers, these depth linebackers. How much depth do you need or how many playmakers do you need on special teams where you you're taking away maybe more upside or talent at other positions to do so? That's not to say that Hodgins can't contribute on special teams as well if he does make this 53-man roster, Matt. Man, people are just so awesome, man. It's a it's a Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. It's that weird hour, four to five, right? You're getting mm -hmm. ready to leave work, probably trying to finish some things off. We got almost 300 people watching live on YouTube. Help us out. Tickle that uh, like button real quick. Just real quick. Move your thumb up, right? Right on your phone or, or maybe on your desktop. However you watch us, hit that like button. Subscribe as well. We really appreciate it. One final note before we get out of here. Roger Saffold getting back, uh, some work in and team drills for the first time. Very newsworthy. Along with him, though, rotating in at left guard, Bobby Hart's been there. Today it was Cody Ford rotating with Roger Saffold. So interesting note, not dead yet. Don't write off Cody Ford. We'll we'll continue to track that as we get to the uh, to the practice or to the game on Saturday. I can't wait for it. We got another one of these coming tomorrow. Uh, from your child's first birthday party to your holiday feast, Sunday football, backyard barbecues, every meal in between. Tops Friendly Markets is proud to have been at your table for the past 60 years and looks forward to 60 more. And we look forward to one more post-training camp practice. It's almost over. We're sad. We're feeling it. We love you guys. Thank you so much for your help. He's Ryan Talbot. I'm at Perino. I got to go. I got to record three more. Camp Diaries. Don't miss it. Go over to Spotify, to Apple, to Google, to Stitcher. Download right now. I'm going to be uploading probably two more today, two tomorrow, one on Friday. They're just going to keep coming at you, furious style. Take care, everybody.